Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan, and it's my privilege to serve you with this virtual Bible study. Our premise is really very simple. We want to know God with all our heart and all our mind, and then to love God with the very depths of our being. And in studying the Bible, we find the best way to reach a better knowledge of God. Now, as I've often said, in fact, I say it every week, the Bible is not the only way to know God, but it is an entirely and completely sufficient way in and of itself. It is God's gift to us. It's a word that speaks the very mind of our Creator to the loved creation. And so when you open the Bible and you start to read it, and you read with an open mind and an open heart, God will reveal God's self to you. And uh, what we do here is take it a step further. Study the Word, see what it says, take it in the context that it's given, apply what we know and what we feel, and just kind of use some very Wesleyan principles unapologetically so that we can truly know God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Now, I follow the Revised Common Lectionary, a schedule of readings that is available uh, in virtually any format you want to find. I mean, you can go online and look up Revised Common Lectionary. You'll find slight variations, but it is a common resource that has been around for generations, and it is a method of systematically studying Scripture in order to worship God and to know God. And uh, so we like this tool, and we come back to it on a regular basis. Uh, now, before we begin reading the scriptures, a few announcements and news from Parsons Prairie. Moving from Parsons Prairie and Corinth United Methodist Church down to uh, the wonderful land of uh, Du Bois County and the wonderful folks of Shiloh United Methodist Church is becoming the dominant feature in our lives around here at the Parsonage. We have uh, uh, a lot of packed boxes and even more unpacked boxes sitting around the house. We've worked for several weeks now to sort of organize and tidy and take care of those uh, little trivial things that uh, seem trivial until you have to move them uh, for uh, I don't know how many times now, the fifth time I guess in this ministry career. And uh, each time we downsize a little bit and uh, each time life is compacted into a bunch of boxes. and. It's sort of interesting because when you move regularly, it makes it a little easier to imagine things, for example, like uh, those uh, wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. Uh, they got used to being mobile. Uh, they had a certain method that they must have used to break camp and assemble the family belongings and pretty much any uh, roaming society, any sort of... Uh, Bedouin or, or uh, you know, Native Americans, let's say, who are prone to follow the, the various herds and so forth, you know, they all had a way of 
having rings built into their boxes so the carrying poles that also served as their tent poles for example could uh, be applied and so uh, I could say that parsonage life is a little bit like that although I anticipate the stays to be longer at this stage in my ministry career and uh, so given the fact that we'll be moving to uh, the community that we're going to serve soon in a uh, home of our own rather than a parsonage and uh, things like that. I, I think this may be a little bit different season for us. So we will covet your prayers. Um, don't have much in the way of a parsonage uh, or Parsons Prairie tale, I should say. Um, there are lots of stories I can tell you from the past, but I do, I will tell you yesterday. Uh, I was sitting on the back porch. In fact, I was sitting outside because it was for warm and balmy. And for the first time in days and days, we actually had a day without rain. And I was just enjoying the back porch, looking out over the, the prairie fields of uh, our uh, little piece of paradise here. And I watched as a succession of ducks came in for a landing on No Name Creek. And uh, it's why I call them the Flyboys, because they just remind me of, of uh, pilots, especially, say, from World War II. You know, these mallard ducks come in, they got their bright green flight uh, leather helmets on, and they, they come coasting in uh, on final approach, and I watch them descend from say 40 or 50 feet above the surface to uh, disappearing under the ledge of the creek so that as they descend they go out of sight and then I listen in the quiet for the sound of their splash and uh, even when they're unseen to me because they've descended below the creek bank I can hear their landing as they put the gear down and then those big webbed feet touch the water and splash. And I watched about four or five of these flyboys come in for landings and and uh, it's kind of amazing really to watch them circle above and they identify their friends down there sitting in a certain spot and they come around uh, from their base leg and then around to their final approach and then they get clearance to land and then the uh, guys down in the water kind of give them their their uh, go ahead or go around you know I can just picture the the ducks saying quack quack I have the ball and then he settles in over the water and comes in for a landing and then an interesting thing happened and uh, I've watched this over the months and years that I've lived here there is a blue heron that uh, we call blue I didn't name him and uh, the blue heron is uh, kind of possessive of the creek and he seems to have declared I would say a good mile or so of No Name Creek as his territory and um, it isn't that he's aggressive with the other animals it's just that he keeps a tight overwatch and uh, so after this congregation of flyboys had gathered I noticed old blue circling up above and then descending over No Name Creek but not landing just sending a message that he's watching he would fly slowly uh, sort of coasting on the wind above the creek and just sort of cruise 
just above uh, the landing area where the flyboys were gathered and uh, he would just sort of make his presence known as he passed over periodically to observe their activities and I've actually seen him do this several times in the past in fact he was rather fond of Oscar my duck who would sit in the creek down here just behind the house and he would often land down there and just sit with her and stand in the water and you know just sort of have a conversation with her I suppose Meanwhile, Ned and Sadie and all their new friends, the red-winged blackbirds, continue to sit in that dead tree just across from the duck rock and uh, sort of sing and chatter and watch all the goings-on. And it's as though they are not part of the groove in the middle of the prairie called No Name Creek. They, they live by it and uh, depend on it, but they are above it and they operate within a different realm and it seems that the ducks and the blue heron don't have much interest in them. Last night my bride and I were walking on the old abandoned road that is nearby and as we passed over the old bridge that covers No Name Creek on this abandoned road we saw a large raccoon waddle across the road ahead of us with his head down and his tail tucked and we both speculated for a moment that this may be the very marauding murderer who crept into the chicken coop a week or two ago and destroyed our little family of birds. And uh, I have to admit the temptation was great to try to hunt him down, but uh, gotta forgive an animal for doing what animals do. And uh, this Parsons Prairie story takes us right up to what we're studying in scripture this week because you see we're not animals unless we choose to act like that we have a lot in common with animals and many anthropologists and other sciences have determined that we have more in common with animals than not but there is one unique difference between us and the animals we were made in the image of God and it is our responsibility and it should be our heart's desire to be like our Creator. And so we make a choice every day of our lives to act like animals or act like children of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can forgive an animal for being an animal. And we can deal with animals in a certain way that is appropriate for animals. But when we're dealing with the other children of God, we have a different thing coming. And that's a great segue into our readings. So uh, let's go on to the scripture readings now. Our readings today are those scheduled for Mother's Day, May 14th, 2017 the fifth Sunday of Easter. Our first reading today is taken from the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to read Acts chapter 7 verses 55 to 60. This is the story of the stoning of Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now reading from Psalms. Psalm 31, verses 1 to 5, and verses 15 and 16. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let us pray. Gracious God, this is a day of celebrating both the homegoing of Stephen and the Christian home. As our readings fall on Mother's Day this week, we find ourselves as witnesses to the eternal love of Christ as it is exemplified in the caring and tender love of mothers. So we're asking you to bless us, Lord, with the testimony of love and grace that first became known to us through our parents and then gained greater expression as we matured and sought you. Hear us as we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we have one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible and definitely in the New Testament. Here's the story of, of a man of God who is uh, no doubt one of the disciples of, of Jesus, obviously, but, but a, an apostle, a friend to the apostles, somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit, someone who in Stephen is found the the word with a capital W. This, this Stephen is standing in front of these uh, Jewish religious leaders and he's pleading with them to hear the true interpretation of all that they have believed. Um, a great, uh, uh, one of my favorite scholars uh, has said that uh, the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And so, in effect, what Stephen has done is he has revealed in his story that he has told to them the truth about Jesus as it was 
hidden within the text of the Old Testament, and they wouldn't hear it. I said it was one of the saddest stories in all the New Testament, and it's sad because adults, grown-ups, intelligent and sophisticated religious leaders are plugging their ears and saying, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, as they shove him off a cliff and then begin to hurl rocks down on him. Now that's an assumption on my part because stoning is typically where they would take a person and throw them down into a ditch and then start chucking rocks at them. And uh, eventually it would be a big rock of some kind that would do them in. Um, the idea in uh, this case is that they were trying not to hear his words by literally plugging their ears and shouting him down, but they were also, also trying to kill him. And uh, my goodness, we don't have to look far in our society to see that this is still going on. It doesn't matter whether your person got elected president or not. The people on the other side are shouting as loud as they can, plugging their ears and vowing to resist and to uh, try to shove him off a cliff as fast as they can and to begin to throw rocks on him. Uh, it doesn't matter what your uh, agreement or disagreement is with the people in your world the anger that leads us towards just ridiculous behavior is unchecked. And we find ourselves confronted with irrational and violent behavior. And it is particularly surprising when people are educated and sophisticated. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that someone who is educated and worldly is somehow... Uh, more predisposed to good behavior, but basically what I am saying is no matter what the extent of your education, no matter what the extent of your worldliness, there is a certain wisdom that one aspires to in living that will cause you to be more thoughtful and more open in your approach to others and to new ideas. But not these guys. These guys are committed to maintaining a particular belief system and a political system that they are comfortable with. And Stephen is just the latest threat to that. And this whole Jesus movement is starting to really get on their nerves because no matter how hard they try to put the Jesus movement out of business, it keeps coming back up. Now, that is one direction that the scripture takes us. And in fact, uh, if you listen to the sermon recording from Sunday, May 14th, uh, you'll hear how I deal with that in a message called None So Deaf. But today I want to look at all the readings of the Revised Common Lectionary instead of singling out that one particular story. And what I see is a way that the Revised Common Lectionary seems to be trying to tell us something interesting about how God views the death of a saint. It is kind of amazing that we read that even as he is being uh, killed by his enemies, Stephen is praying for them. He sees Jesus he sees the glory of God, and he even tries to tell them, look, don't you see it? And of course they can't see it. If I hadn't mentioned it to you before, 
Israel has lots of rocks. <laughs> I've had the privilege of being in that country, and I have seen that pretty much everywhere you go, anywhere in that country, there is an abundance of rocks. And much of the various strata that's there is the kind that is sharp and uh, sounds a little bit like uh, a clay pot or something would sound when it breaks one rock against another. And, and uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that under any circumstances being stoned to death would be very painful but this particular practice as it was executed in Jerusalem would have been gruesome and painful and uh, I just can't even imagine participating it much less being a victim of it because traditionally stoning involved throwing a person into a ditch or down a hillside and then beginning to throw rocks down on them. And uh, eventually, if they didn't die swiftly enough for everybody to go back to their business or go home for supper or something, why, a couple of fellows would grab the biggest rock they could find and drop it on their head or something, you know. I mean, that's really how it was. So just imagine all these rocks being hurled down by all of the people present there, and these rocks are sharp-edged and some heavier than others, some thrown with a great deal of force and some rolling down and some falling down and this person is just being pulverized, cut and ripped and it, it would have been the most, you know, painful in the fact that there would be so many superficial injuries which are typically the more painful kind, you know, like when you scrape yourself versus a deep cut. And uh, Stephen... In the midst of all of this, is looking heavenward and speaking of this Jesus that he can see. And he pleads with Jesus to forgive them. Let your mind wrap around that for a second. And then he says, Lord, receive my spirit. And the scripture says he fell asleep. Isn't it? Amazing how in the New Testament we hear Jesus and others referring to the, the death of a saint as being asleep. Um, what does it mean when someone is asleep? It, it means eventually they wake up. It means that they have not ceased to exist. It doesn't mean that they have somehow... Uh, been stomped out of, of uh, existence or, or uh, being known in any way. I mean, this is exactly what, uh, for example, the Nazis tried to do with the Jews. It wasn't enough to kill them, but they wanted to burn their remains. They wanted to bury them secretly. Anything they could do to just make it as though these people never existed. Um, and then we hear that when a saint dies, he sleeps, she sleeps meaning she will awaken. Now that's pretty amazing. And perhaps, as we look at our psalm reading today, we can imagine what Stephen was thinking. It's as though this passage is the very thought of a saint, as a saved person who is committed to Christ. Uh, the very mind of that person, even as they are confronted with evil is, Lord, I've got all the refuge I need in you. 
I know that you are my rock of refuge. You're the strong fortress that saves me. Well, obviously, Stephen wasn't feeling saved from anything at that particular moment. And yet, his countenance tells us that he was taking refuge in Christ. You know, what I find amazing about Christians and churchgoers is how often they fight and struggle with death as though they don't understand that they've been given victory over death. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where is your victory? You know, it, it's not that any of us looks forward to the, the act of dying, and certainly if it were like Stephen's death, it would be even more frightful. But to understand that we have eternal life through Christ is to understand that our death in this world, the flesh of this world, is not the end. It's a transition from one kind of existence to another. But the day we became followers of Christ and we gave our salvation into his care, the day that we became true believers, we were eternal. Then it, it didn't it doesn't start after you die. Your your eternity doesn't start after you die. It, it is something that happens the moment you become born again as a believer. And so Stephen has this mindset and the, the psalm writer and the people who gave us the schedule of readings, they, they seem to be saying through this psalm that all of our times are in God's hands and that we can take refuge in God even while we are suffering, even as we are dying. This is a good word. It is a good thing to know. And if we're honest with ourselves, how would we live differently if we were really unafraid of death? I'm not talking about reckless abandon where you take all kinds of chances and you pit yourself against danger. And no, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about that question that is sometimes found on, uh, on questionnaires or, or uh, job applications or self-studies. And, you know, that question that comes up from time to time in a person's life where someone says, if you knew that you could not fail, what would you do? If there was something that you always wanted to do and you were afraid to do it because there was so much potential for failure, you know, what is that? And if you knew that you could not fail, what would it be? So I, I love that question because that's really what eternal life through Christ gives us. If we can preach boldly like Stephen did without fear, then we would not hesitate to represent Christ more openly and honesty in all of our lives. You know, we live in a time when political correctness is uh, outrageous. We live in a time where it is invading the church. It's invading every aspect of our lives. And, and on one hand, there's a certain rationality to it. You know, we're just trying not to make other people uncomfortable. But on the other hand, it gets ridiculous that we cannot even hint at certain ideas and so somehow in expressing ourselves we're limited 
so that we are having our very thoughts managed by the opinions of others. And if you knew that you could not fail, what would you do? If you knew that there was nothing that the powers that, could, that be could take away from you, what would you say? Would you go to your workplace and proclaim Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? Would you live with reckless abandon if it meant that you might have to be uh, a bit of an outsider at school or in some aspect of your life? Would you go to church and actually insist that the religious people and the social club people put aside their agenda so that we can actually do the will of Christ, which is to preach the gospel of good news to the poor? And, and if you knew you could do that and not fail, would you do it? Stephen knew that he could not fail. Stephen knew that failure was not on the table because whatever happened to him, he was safe and secure in his rock of refuge, his Ebenezer. And that rock was there in life, in painful death, and in all of eternity in the presence of Christ. Our final two readings are from the first letter to, of Peter and uh, the Gospel of John. So 1 Peter 2, verses 2 to 10, says this, Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me read that line again. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And now from the Gospel of John, we read chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Do you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, for me, the combination of readings that are found here in the Revised Common Lectionary Schedule paint a very clear picture. We see, first of all, Stephen, even at the hour of his death, looking to Jesus, seeing Jesus and asking him to receive the spirit of Stephen. And then the psalm reading says, I have all the faith in you to be my rock of refuge my strong fortress, because my times are in your hands. I ask you to show me your unfailing love. And then in First Peter, he goes on to say to us, look, continue to seek after the high and holy things. Keep looking toward Zion and understand that your faith is now built on a stone. A stone that the world rejects, but he is the cornerstone. And again, we see that stone of refuge, that image of the stone. You've seen the construction of bridges. You've seen the bricking of a wall. You've seen all the various forms of, uh, of structural engineering that involves stone. And you realize, even if you have limited knowledge of engineering matters, that there are certain stones that play a more crucial role in the thing than others. In an arch, the capstone or the corner or the uh, a keystone is critical to holding the whole structure together. The cornerstone of a building is is one of those that holds one of the four walls uh, or four corners of a building. Let's say it carries a tremendous weight. It, it carries a load that may radiate all the way from the highest peak and the highest tower. 
And so these are really crucial stones, and Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. And yet, there will be those who do not see the message of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, the, 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 the thing that separates Christians from the rest of the world. Uh, they'll look at him and they'll see a stone they've rejected. They'll cast it away because it is not what they consider worthy of building their whole lives around, their whole system of belief. You know, why, why do we do religion anyway? Why do, we, why do we need faith? You know, we're living in a time when many, many younger people are simply fed up with fake politics and fake religion and a lot of other things that don't seem to carry any substance. And they hear me say, Jesus is the cornerstone. And of course they say, of what? I think Jesus is a good guy. I think there's enough evidence that he was a good guy. But if he's what this church is all about, then he's the cornerstone of a broken building. And in a lot of cases, I would agree. Now, Christians will defend and say, yes, but we are a broken group of people saved by God's grace. And this is certainly true. But the religious institutions that non-believers associate with Christ, Jesus, Christianity, Holy Spirit, God, Church, they, these words all point back to a system that has done nothing but cause pain or at the very least is just irrelevant. And so church is nothing more than a boring and irrelevant institution to them. And we say Jesus is the cornerstone and they say of what? Peter says, look, if this stone hasn't made you stumble if this stone hasn't caused you to change in some tremendous way, then how much difference does it make in your life? There are people who have claimed Jesus as the cornerstone of their lives for longer than they can remember, and yet their lives don't seem any particular don't seem in any particular way to be different from anyone else's. It seems that they've been looking at the cornerstone and admiring it regularly, but they've not built anything on it. If Jesus is the stone of refuge, if Jesus is the thing that, that is the central figure, if he's the one that's the central figure in the whole structure of your system of belief that informs how you experience life and death in the same dramatic way that it did for Stephen, then this is a rock that makes a difference. And this is something people see. Now we can only speculate, but old Paul, known as Saul in this story, is holding the cloaks of the people who are throwing the rocks at Stephen. And we don't know. But we can assume that we're told this because this influenced him. Because he looked down at, Peter, or at Stephen down there being stoned to death and he saw the glory of God. He saw Stephen going to his death with confidence in his stone of refuge, with his eternity secure on the firm foundation of Jesus. And then later, this same Saul would become one of the most effective, if not the most effective, preachers of the gospel of all time. 
This is perhaps why Jesus, who is the cornerstone, who is the rock of refuge, he is the capstone, the keystone. He's the central element that holds it all together for us. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You can trust that if you put your faith in me, you have come into a complete relationship with God. You do know where you're going if you build it on Christ. You do know the Father, the Creator, if you build it on Jesus. And this is what Jesus wants you to know. This is a stone you can depend on. Take time and faith and put your faith and dependence on this stone. Well, I want to thank you again for the privilege of serving you in this way. I am honored, deeply honored, that you would find value in what I have to say about the Bible, about Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. I am deeply humbled by your trust. And I pray that God uses me faithfully and that I will bring nothing to him but glory. Remember that Knowing God with Heart and Mind is a podcast that is a service of yours truly, Pastor Dan Sinkhorn, but it wouldn't be possible for me to do this the way that I do without the faithful support of the people of the church that I serve as their pastor. And for now, for another five weeks, I am the pastor at Corinth United Methodist Church. And so to thank them for the support of this podcast, I hope that you will pray for them generously and that you will support them financially. You can do so by visiting CorinthUMC.com. But you can also make a difference in another way. If you're not a local person who is a part of this community within which I serve, then go to church wherever you can. Find a faithful community of believers that you can relate to and that you can connect with, a group that is committed to Scripture and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Be a part of that and support them with your time, your talent, and your treasures. And if you're one of those folks that will soon be a part of my life and my new community, then uh, be sure to support your local church, Shiloh United Methodist. And if you need to, you can go online and help them and join with them by visiting shilohum.org. Now, I send you with God's blessing, with my love, and my deep desire that you would know God with all your heart and mind and soul.